This morning's epistle reading comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the fifth of six weeks where we are working our way through the big picture. That is kind of the overview of the Christian faith that we work through in the fall semester, so to speak, with our confirmation class, our class of 10, 7th, and 8th graders this year. Then in the second semester, we look at what it means to be a disciple. And we will look at that after Christmas. But today we look at the cross, which means we hear a passage we're not used to hearing this time of year. So I'll be reading selected verses from chapter 23 and 24 from Luke. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. But on the first day of the week, At early dawn they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. But has risen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hank and Ryan and Emma and Matthew and Caden, welcome to worship today. And I want to give you an assignment. While you're listening, look around without standing up and count how many crosses you see in this sanctuary, and you can tell me at the end of the worship, by the door as you go out. Big church or small, Protestant or Catholic, Orthodox, Pentecostal, or Independent, you walk into a church and you almost always will see a cross, or many of them. But it's not always been this way. I learned something new this week. Do you know that in the first 200 years or so, Christian art never portrays Jesus on the cross, or even use the cross as a symbol. Why? Because the cross was a tool of execution reserved by the Romans for the most despised of criminals, 
<coughs> escaped slaves or traitors, political rebels. Death by cross was not only a painful death, it was also a shameful one. For Jews, too, the cross, which only the Romans could use, was a symbol of shame and scandal. Who would want to proclaim that your leader and founder died such a scandalous death? And who would want the Romans, who were still in power, to think that you follow one that they had already branded to be a traitor and enemy of the empire? While now an almost universal symbol for Christianity, the cross can still raise questions. Shirley Guthrie writes about a young boy who attended a revival where the preacher had shouted from the pulpit, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He took the punishment that should have been on you, that you should have fallen, should have fallen on you. He satisfied the righteousness of God so that you might go free. Believe in him. Guthrie writes that that night the boy could not sleep very well. His mind raced with a load of questions. Jesus sounded good, but what about God? God seemed kind of scary. Why should Jesus be punished for what he, a boy, had done? And had he really done that much to deserve death? And even if Jesus did save him from God, how did Jesus' sacrifice help him to be any better? Good questions, don't you think? Perhaps you've had your own questions about the cross. So let us look at the cross more closely. What does this cross here and here and all around reveal about God and about us? First, let's talk about God. The cross reveals the love of God. This is where we begin, not with human sin, but with God's love. Because from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God's love and grace always make the first move. God loves us before we've done anything to deserve that love. The cross reveals the love of God, not just Jesus. This is, that's why the idea of the Trinity is so important, even though it's mysterious and hard for us to fully understand. But this is central. This is what we truly need to understand. That when Jesus speaks and acts, God is speaking and acting. The Bible does not proclaim that Jesus came to change God's mind. He came precisely to express God's mind, God's love. What Jesus does is not in opposition to God to protect us. Jesus is God with us. What Jesus wills and does is what God wills and does. The Bible uses a lot of images to describe what God does on the cross because no one image, no one metaphor captures all the meaning. Perhaps you've heard of some of these. So the Bible will use the image of redemption. We talk about Christ the Redeemer. And in Jesus' world, what that meant is when someone paid to free a slave to redeem them and give them their liberty. Or the Bible can talk about debts. It's the word we use in our Lord's Prayer that comes from Luke and Matthew in the New Testament. Where God's cross 
represent God's payment of a debt that we owe but cannot pay. The Bible also talks about the victory of Christ, using a battle image to describe how God has defeated in Jesus Christ the forces of sin and evil in this world. And of course, there is the ancient language of sacrifice, which is hard for our modern ears to hear or for our modern minds to comprehend. The idea that the shepherd would offer something of value to God, a sheep from his herd, as a sign of penitence and a sign of gratitude. All of these metaphors and images point to this central truth. Sin separates us from God. But through the cross, God has acted to put things right. And it is God's doing, not ours. Other religions talk about what people must do to put things right with God, but Christianity speaks about what God has already done in the cross. And the Bible does not teach that if we follow certain conditions, we have faith, for example, then God starts loving us. No, as Paul writes in his letter to the Roman church, in the cross, God shows his love for us, and that yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember when Jesus speaks the words on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do, it's to the very people who were crucifying him at that moment. The cross reveals God's love and also shows us how costly that love is. As we discussed last week, for 2,000 years, Christians have proclaimed that Jesus was fully God but also fully human. And in his humanity, he really did suffer and he really did die. But greater than the physical suffering was the psychic suffering. Do you remember what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on that last night? Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And the Gospels describe blood, sweat, and tears. Do you remember what he shouted from the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the anguishing first line of Psalm 22. To quote Guthrie again, a wise seminary professor, suppose I've done something to deeply hurt a friend, and he says to me, that's okay, it doesn't really matter, forget it. Has he really forgiven me? What he really has said is, it doesn't really matter. Or, I don't really care enough about you to really kind of sweat it that you did this. On the other hand, Guthrie writes, real love and forgiveness means caring enough to be hurt. Real love and forgiveness are costly in relationships, not in the sense that the guilty must squeeze something out of the one who did the harm, but in the sense that the injured one does not keep score and freely participates in the guilt that's not his or her own. Why did Jesus have to die? Because God cares for us too much to dismiss our sin and guilt with a casual, ah, it doesn't matter. Because words are not enough, action was necessary. In the cross, God says to us, God shows us, yes, it's true. You have hurt and defended me. You have done it by hurting others whom I love. You are guilty, but I still love you. Therefore, I will make your guilt and your consequences my own. 
I will suffer with you for you. And then there's a human side of the equation when it comes to the cross. For a second, the cross reveals human sin. Or to put it more directly, the cross reveals what happens when God shows up. One of the most moving parts of worship during the year for me is on Maundy Thursday, when in the dark, the solo, Were You There, is sung. Were we there when they crucified our Lord? The answer to that question is yes. Perhaps we were not there with Judas who sold out because Jesus somehow did not match his military expectations of a Messiah. But can we say with certainty that we've never let money get in the way of our discipleship? If it comes to a choice between Christ and our nation's political and military interests, would we always say we would choose Christ? Perhaps we were not there with the religious leaders who went after Jesus either because they thought he was a blasphemer and a threat to peace under Roman rule, or more selfishly because they feared Jesus' threat to their security and their power. Maybe we weren't like them, but are we assured that we ourselves have never wrongfully condemned some people? or some actions because of bad theology or misunderstanding of the Bible or because of our own prejudices? Do we ever want to hold on to what we have more than we want to follow Jesus? Perhaps we were not there with the crowds who yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Perhaps we were more like the ones who stood by and watched without saying anything or those who ran away in fear because they were afraid that they might be the next ones the Roman soldiers went after. Turning to us, are we so sure that we would not have remained silent? Have there been times when people have told offensive jokes or passed on some false claim about somebody and we did nothing to counter it? Have we ever been too afraid to follow Jesus because doing so might prove to be hard or unpopular. Or perhaps we would think, ah, wouldn't do any of those things. If we had been there, surely we would have gotten it right. Of course, there was one of Jesus' followers who said he would never deny Jesus, Peter. And he did it not once, but twice, but three times. The Australian actor Mel Gibson has gotten a lot wrong in his life. But this he got right. In the movie, The Passion of Christ, he intentionally put his hand in the picture when the nails were driven into the cross. Were we there? Yes, we were. At some point or another, we have all let Jesus down, let God down, or hurt and let down other people. It doesn't have to be that way. But all too often, it is that way. Third, and this is often overlooked, the cross reveals Jesus' solidarity with those who suffer. Sometimes the cross is not just a symbol of what people do to God. Sometimes, or at the same time, the cross is a symbol of what people do to other people. 
at the cross, we proclaim that an innocent man was executed for blasphemy and sedition. And the cross reminds us that life indeed is often not fair. Sometimes people suffer injustice or are mistreated by others. Sometimes we will face an agony or suffering not of our own making. Sometimes we may be in pain or feel scared. And when any of that happens, we usually will feel very, very alone. But we are not. For what the cross reveals is that Jesus has been there and done that. That Jesus is with us even now. As we say in Psalm 23, He is a shepherd who is present with His sheep even in the darkest of valleys. Even when we feel like we've descended into hell. Stations of the Heart is a poignant love story of a father for his son. A son who would die all too early, leaving a wife and young child behind, as well as his parents. The father, a Lutheran pastor and seminary professor, writes, Soon after his diagnosis, Adam began buying crosses, lots of them. Greek, Native American, St. Andrews, Celtic, Coptic. He had been brought up in our Lutheran household to value the cross but now he embraced it as a symbol of his bond to Jesus. The cancer and all that he had to lose were hellish, but he could draw comfort and strength that Jesus was with him every step of the way. What can we say about the cross? Ultimately this. The cross reveals the strange and mysterious love of God that has a power that we can't fully comprehend. Think about it. We assume that one achieves power by growing stronger, asserting oneself, seizing the initiative. At the national level, we build up our military defenses. In corporate America, we climb the ladder and outdo our competition. At the personal level, we've learned to be assertive and fight for yourself because no one else will do it. As Bill Placker writes, these are the lessons that our society teaches. But those are not the lessons that the cross teaches. On the contrary, on his way to the cross, Jesus seems to grow weaker. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross as Paul describes that path in Philippians 2. And yet, that path, that path of weakness and seeming defeat, leads to victory. In the strange and wondrous mystery of the cross and the empty tomb, we proclaim that Jesus' apparent defeat at the hands of the religious and political leaders is actually, for God, a victory. What the cross and empty tomb reveal, as we often proclaim at the font or up here on Sunday mornings, is that there is more grace in God than there is sin in us. That God's love is more powerful than all the forces and sin and evil in the world. And that God's love has the last word, even over death. This strange power of God's love, the cross finally points to the path that we are called to follow. Like Humpty Dumpty, we have fallen. 
And like all the king's horses and all the king's men, we can't put ourselves back together again. We can't. But God can. And a new and better life comes not by us trying harder or doing better, but by us letting go and letting God. Only when we surrender ourselves, admit our emptiness, and open ourselves to God can we be filled and given the new abundant life that Jesus comes to bring us. And this is what God wants us to do. The God at the, who at the cross thinks that we're worth dying for. No wonder there are so many crosses in every sanctuary. Thanks be to God. Amen.